0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How Do You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Kim Clark, who is a diversity, equity and inclusion in communications edu- educator and consultant.
1: Hi, Kim. Lovely to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And <laughs> Thanks for doing this podcast. It's a good topic to be talking about. Awesome. So I guess we can start off
0: with a quick introduction, sort of who are you? And also the main question of the podcast, which is
1: how would you do it and why should I care? <laughs> uh, so it started, you know, on a you know, dark and stormy night. Uh, just kidding. Um, so what's interesting is that what I've really come to, to realize, especially uh, now in my career, is that universe wastes nothing. So it feels like a jungle gym of a career. You know, I, I, I went to school and I switched my majors three times. And um, once I got out, I started off in radio. I was doing on-air um, radio DJing. Uh, I was DJing weddings and vi- doing videography for weddings. Wow. And <laughs> bagging groceries at a grocery store and, <laughs> and all kinds of interesting things. And then I, once I was done with college, I stayed in radio for a while. I was in college radio and I also did promotions. That was my main job was promotions. Like, you know, I was the one that, you know, was giving away the free car or the front row tickets to the U2 concert. I would I'd be the one behind the scenes to go get that stuff and and facilitate the contest. So my 20s were fabulous because I got to go to free concerts all over the <laughs> San Francisco Bay Area. So no complaints there. Um, and then I, I, I switched over to the other side of my degree, which is radio, television, film, theater. And I got into uh, documentary filmmaking, video production at a digital agency. Mm-hmm. So I got to work on several uh, television documentaries for the Discovery Channel. I was an associate wow. producer on like nine of them. So I really got into storytelling. I really understood storytelling. And uh, then I pursued my master's. Uh, in media studies and production. And I um, made my own independent documentary called God and Gays Bridging the Gap. And that it was at a very, you know, tense time when it was, it was pre-marriage equality pushes and stuff like that. So it was, it was timed at the right time for society to have harder conversations about really important subjects that, mm. We continued to be silent about or reject those kinds of conversations. A lot of people were suffering, mm. so that's where I learned about you know uh, being there for an audience to really understand the depth of of the importance of talking about DEI topics, like being gay and being raised in a conservative a religious environment and the benefits and the consequences of that. So what is it really like to be in that life? You know, what are what are those benefits and consequences personally and professionally? Yeah. So I got my feet wet there. And then I went into internal communications for uh, several tech companies like PayPal, GoDaddy, GitHub. And that's where I really learned communication strategies. What is it like within a corporate environment in order to do this storytelling, to do these mini documentaries that I like to do? Uh, to get in there and and understand different target audiences and what they need. What do they need from leadership from a communication standpoint? And all the while, I've been studying with a professional diversity trainer who's been a professional diversity trainer for 40 years. Her name's Deborah L. Johnson. And I've been studying under her as as a student for 17 years. So I was always putting diversity, equity, and inclusion into my communication strategies. And and so uh, a few years ago, I struck out on my own. And mm-hmm. now that's what I focus on. And that was pre George Floyd's murder. Yeah. So I come from a time when it was really hard to get communicators attention around diversity, equity, and inclusion, as they felt it was boxed into HR, that it was an HR thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, No, this is not an HR. This is an us thing. We're the communicators. We're the ones that are... are you know, basically setting the 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 pace and the example and role modeling what our communications are here at this organization. Are we being inclusive with our language? Are we being representative in our visual imagery in our in our videos, et cetera? And we have a role to play because if we're not intentional in our communications, we are likely unintentionally causing harm, yeah. microaggressions, and leaving people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and saying things that we shouldn't say. So, but after George Floyd's murder, as I'm sure is, is no one's the great white awakening, um, as <laughs> some have called it, um, suddenly I, I got a lot of interest of people wanting to learn more about inclusive language because they were really in this stress, you know, mechanism. They were in their coping mechanisms of stress, flight, fight, yeah. flight, or freeze. Most leaders were in freeze. They didn't want to say anything, or they were in flight, where it's like this is just a trend. We're just going to let this blow over. Or mm-hmm. it was fight, like no, I'm not going to say anything about this, like outright, like no, this isn't our role in our, you know, we're when I we're, we're a such and such company. We sell shoes. We we mm-hmm. shouldn't be making any kind of positioning statements on this. And I had communicators who are far more in touch with employees than some leadership groups are. And they're like, I, I got to get them unstuck. And so that's what I really focus is working with communicators to help them and their leaders become unstuck mm. because silence is complicity, as we know. And so you, you have to be ready and willing to say something. And then you get into this like fear of making mistakes. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to get us in trouble and get us canceled on Twitter, you know, that's crazy. Yeah. So the risks are high. And that's genuine, and it's authentic. But we can do this. And we need to do this. It's just a matter of building those skills. So that's, that's what I'm working on right now. So it's fascinating to look back at all the weird jobs that I've had that don't seem to really have a connection necessarily. I've kind of reinvented myself along the way. And each time I've done that, it's been at just the right time, like I was saying with the documentary it was right before marriage equality. And then I get into DEI, communications, consulting, and education. And then George Floyd is murdered and mm. changes everything. Right. Mm. And so I, I've been very, very lucky that somehow, some way I have found myself in a position ahead of social and, and corporate interests. And then when something changes, I'm I'm there and I'm able to speak to those, those topics and help people guide through both crises and celebrations.
0: That's really really interesting and it seems like you've had a lot of experience over your lifetime in through your jobs and everything. So, as with much DEI, you know, it can't be learned in a book. So, I guess what were the best resources that helped you along your journey to get to where you are today?
1: Best resources is is really because there isn't like a degree in DEI. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure somebody's working on that. There's lots of certification programs. Uh, and there's lots of classes that are being offered. Um, and I encourage people who want to get into this, you know, work, do that. Um, if for nothing else, but to learn how other people are learning about are or, or teaching unconscious bias, for example, that's the most popular. And it's usually the first step in this work is, is talking about unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. Um, However, since there's no real degree, there's no like learning path from an education standpoint outside of these certification programs. It's real street smarts. Um, you got to you got to come come at it from a place of personal motivation because this is really hard work. Yeah. And you're working with people as well at the same time. Absolutely. Who have completely different backgrounds. Everyone's got their baggage from their family and their upbringing or whatever it is. And then you got politics, you know, and everything that's been on fire for the last couple of years in particular. So there's a lot of sensitivity. And yet there's such a desire, like we have to talk about these things, but we have no role models so what I, you know, so that's part of the work that I do, um, because we, we're all figuring it out. We're trying to do something that's never been done before, Layla. We've, we're, we're trying to have inclusive and equitable workplaces. Mm. That has never happened before. It's crazy to think that that's <laughs> never happened before. But you know what? At least we're working towards it now, right? And but if you look historically, after every major pandemic, there is a renaissance. Mm. And that's what we're hopefully entering into, that we are seizing the moment to reimagine workplace culture, reimagining relationships with our colleagues, reimagining our language Mm. and in fostering that culture of respect. Um, But back to the resources, it's really people. It's taking your own personal experience and learning through unconscious bias, for example, where are your blind spots? commit to learning something about somebody else's experience every day, because that's one of the major hiccups is people will tell me, I don't have a problem with the word rock star in a job description. And it's a white male that's saying that. And I'm I'm trying to say that is your experience. You don't have a problem with the word rock star in a job description. But I'm telling you, research suggests that women will automatically opt out on any job description that says rock star. They don't see themselves in that word. Mm. And so, you know, gender neutral job descriptions are really important and painting a picture and being very, you know, like vision oriented of the role rather than leaning on experiences. For example, there's lots of tricks and tips of how to make job descriptions more appealing to marginalized Mm -hmm. populations like women. So there's, there's this, there's this piece that you need to understand that just because i don't have a problem with it doesn't mean that there isn't a problem mm-hmm. so how you get there and really understanding where those blind spots are are like i i subscribe to so many different newsletters it you make your head spin I am part of many different, you know, I, have, I run a, a, a group on LinkedIn called Conscious Communicators. Mm. Uh, Conscious Communications, one or the other. Um, <laughs> and you can, you know, and then people have conversations there. So we're always sharpening each other's sword because nobody within our companies really do what we're trying to do. So we have to go outside and build a network in order yeah. to keep ourselves on top. So I, am, I listen to webinars constantly, podcasts, constantly because I want to hear and on clubhouse yeah, clubhouse a lot. And, and that's where, that's where you don't have to worry about like people swearing. They're just going to lay it out. That's very plain speak. And that's what I appreciate the most. They're going to tell the truth of what their experience is like. I was listening last week to a group of people who are uh, people of disabilities and they're talking about wheelchair users and, and how to be allies you know, for them and what their day-to-day experience is like when they go to a restaurant and there's a lip into the door and they can't get above the lip, you know, um, and how, you know, just, just their experience. They'll tell you how it is. And that's, that's where I get my greatest learning. And I take that into my work. So I will tell the stories like I just did of like, I learned this about this experience. I don't have that experience, but it doesn't mean that experience doesn't exist. Mm. So my best resources are people themselves telling their stories, sharing their experiences. I take it in and I share what I, you know, I share what I learn. I teach and um, and I put it into practice. Mm that's awesome yeah no i completely agree
0: with that because just because something doesn't happen to you as you mentioned it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen somewhere out there so it's definitely important to share people's stories and sort of thinking about your career actually in the span of your career what would you say is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it oh
1: man uh just two weeks ago was probably my biggest failure um but it's, it's interesting how you look at how one looks at failure. Like yeah. I look at as I, I look, at a, look at it as, I said something that wasn't not true, meaning it was true and it was accurate. However, the audience from which I made this comment, it was inappropriate. Mm. So I issued an apology, and it was out of my own integrity of centering on humanity. Because the way systems are set up in the U.S., in particular, is centered on whiteness, on on patriarchy, you know, on education, you know, high Ivy League education, property owners, money, and so the centering is what needs to be dismantled. And so, if we center on humanity, then that gives us gives us all more of a fair shot at being seen, heard, and valued valued, which is all that anyone wants. Yeah. So, my comment was, was for an underdog um, rather than centering on the humanity of all people that are a part of the situation that I was referring to. I was trying to bring visibility, Mm. but but to the audience that I, that I shared this comment with, it was inappropriate. I issued an apology. I teach people how to apologize. So I, I literally leaned on my training of, you know, doing what I teach. And so that was the beauty of it. I also have a, I have a tendency to be really hard on myself, which I know is not uncommon, (laughs) but you know, I, I need, I need, it took me a couple of days to kind of forgive myself Mm. to release and say, I already got the lesson very quickly. I saw my error and that's part of this work is that I'm, I, I talk about inclusive communications. It's it's what I teach. Mm. And so I'm going to mess up. And I open every single training with saying, it's not if you're going to make a mistake, it's when. And so I know that I'm part of that process. I am human as well. And it's just part of my testimony now. And I learned from it. And I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to apologize. And People were, because when you apologize, it's not about your intent. Yeah. It's about your impact. And so you focus that apology on the impact, the harm that was caused. And so um it's, what's interesting is that when I, when I sent out that apology to two different parties, the response from both of them separately was, we know you didn't intend that we know your reputation. We know what you stand for. Mm-hmm. So we know, we know you, you know? And so that was very helpful. (laughs) And they called out that it wasn't my intent. I didn't have to. Yeah. Even though I certainly wasn't wanting to cut anybody out. Of course that wasn't my intent, but it doesn't matter because I caused harm and that's what I need to apologize for. I need to own what comes out of my mouth. And Learning, Having that learning environment is really what we need in the workplace to allow these mistakes to happen and allow the apologies to be exchanged and allow forgiveness to happen because, like I said, we're trying to do something that's never been done before. So we're, we, we're learning out loud.
0: Exactly. And that was such a fantastic example that you sort of learned from it. And it can be applied to sort of any industry, you know, owning up to your mistakes. And as you mentioned, apologizing for the impact. That's such useful advice for anyone sort of starting out in their career or even like,
1: you know, progressing through their career is to always own up to your mistakes. A thousand percent. And you grow from it. And that's Mm -hmm. the difference. Like if I continue to run around and make this comment, even after it was called out to me, that's on me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not okay. And and that happens with microaggressions in the workplace is that a lot of people will just continue to do whatever they want and, and because they think they can. So that, that we have to have accountability and consequences for people who are going to continually choose to re-harm people mm-hmm. um, through their words, through their behaviors and actions. And so you t- you, you, we have to, no one, no one made me say it, right? Even though it was coming from a good place, like I said, I was bringing visibility to an underdog. Um, And that, that was, that was my point. However, it, it, it didn't meet, you know, my desired income outcome. Right. And so I I am learning from it. I definitely am glad that I'm getting those experiences now, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because I'm writing a book. And once that book comes out, you know, more people are gonna have heard of me, and and have read the book and stuff. And so I would rather make the make them as many m- mistakes along the way as I can until that happens, yeah. because that's you know people want people with experience. That's how you get experience is yeah. just doing it, screwing up, learning from it. Moving on.
0: <laughs> exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. And then following on from that, actually, for those who are sort of wanting to pursue a career in the de field, what is one common myth about the field that you would like to debunk?
1: So DEI practitioners, that's what we call ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, or consultants, advisors, et cetera, are, are very different. And that can be really frustrating for, for companies. So we have different strengths. My strengths is on communications. So working on inclusive language, as I mentioned, which is, you know, impacts not just the communications teams, but it also impacts marketing, any content creators within an organization, sales, scripts, um, you know, customer communications, but also leadership communications, helping leaders decipher when to speak, when, you know, what to say. So they're not performative in their communications. They're actually meaningful in their communications. Um but and, and, and also with managers, really working and skilling up managers around, you know, communications, being better communicators from a DEI place, not just better communicators in, in general. Um, so that's my specialty. However, I have been asked to do additional kinds of work, you know, teaching leaders on storytelling um, from a DEI lens, uh, you know, microaggressions, allyship, a, a lot of other uh, psychological safety Uh, I'm speaking at Pride events in June because I'm I'm part of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. I've been part of educating folks on the community for over 20 years. So I'll I'll do specialty topics. I have a Native American background as well from my mother's side, Muskogee, you know, uh, nation, uh, Native American, so I can speak. So and then I have a son who has disabilities he has autism. Um, and so, you know, I can speak from a disability standpoint. I can speak from a parent standpoint. So it's really, it's really, you know, what does a company need either specific topics or, you know, general like communication strategy, those kinds of things. The myth is, is that we're all the same, right. But we're as individual as anyone else. So there are firms out there that will do more, a, a DEI from an HR perspective looking at policies processes um you know but, and that's really where the work for DEI comes from systemic changes policies processes and people so culture mm-hmm. and the individual so i i i spend most of my time on the culture and the individual however i have done work on policies and and processes systems and tools mm-hmm. um, because of my experience in house. However, there are folks that are come at it, coming at it really from an HR perspective more of a traditional um, perspective on DE&I. Yeah. So it really is what, what is the work that you want to do? Another thing I would really like to debunk is that you buy a training and then everyone has got it down. Mm-hmm. So you cannot do that. So that's performative. So you have to literally understand that DE&I is a transformation of the business. Yes. It's how we need, to, we need to embed DE&I in all of our systems, policies, processes, everything that I just talked about, as well as our people because and across the business. It's not just an HR thing. It's an everybody thing because it impacts everybody. And bring in an outside consultant to help you, but you have to fund it. You can't just like buy some trainings and think that it, everything's all – you have to have an accountability. You need to have consequences. Like I was mentioning earlier, you have to have a plan for that. You got to, st- you got to protect your people. Mm. You haven't been protecting like women in meetings, the mansplaining that goes on that the interruptions, even from other women that happen. Um, all, all of that. Somebody takes credit for somebody else's idea. All of it. We have to, we have to have consequences to that, that kind of behavior. Otherwise, it will continue. We have to disrupt it. We have to interrupt it. But we need to know the skills in order to do that in a way that says, I I know you're not aware of what you just said or what just happened. I, I value our relationship as colleagues. And I'm going to call you in. It's called calling in. I'm going to call you in on, on this rather than calling out. Yeah. You know, that's where shaming and all that kind of stuff comes in. So one myth is, you know, find figure out where you want to spend, you know, you know, spend your time and your money right now and find practitioners that have that background. The more broad background are they from an HR lens or from an entire, you know, change management lens like I am or specific topics that you really want to go deeper on? And the other is you need to understand that DE&I is a business transformation. Yeah, Yeah. This is something you have to fund ongoing And it has to be sustainable and meaningful where you're spending money. And you need to stick around long enough to to have measurable results that are meaningful to your marginalized populations. That was a
0: great two myths that you debunked. Thank you for that. And then finally to sort of wrap up our conversation, what advice would you wish that you gave yourself at any point in your life?
1: Oh gosh. What advice? So, The only thing that ever needs to be healed is the sense of separation. Mm -hmm. So as long as we understand that it's just a sense that we're not actually separate, then that gives me hope that this DE&I work will actually make a difference because as my friend, my good friend, Janet Stovall, who is a Ted, who has a Ted talk and I encourage people to watch it. She talks about um, how, Actually, business has this golden opportunity to eliminate, at least mitigate, racism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I would add on sexism, homophobia, you know, et cetera, et cetera, ableism, all of it. And so, in the workplace, is where the social capital is and where the monetary capital is, where we can be make, making the most moves in society. But we have to understand that. Valuing differences is ab- absolutely what we need to be focusing on because differences unto themselves is not a problem. It's the polarizing yeah. around the differences that causes the problems. And so, once we understand that, you know, the only thing that ever needs to be healed is the sense of separation, once we start seeing ourselves and others, you know, I, that gives me hope that we can actually create equitable and inclusive workplaces and actually. There's another quote. Uh, I, I think it's attributed to Jesse Jackson, but don't quote mm-hmm. me on that, that says, We'll never know how good the game can be played until everyone can play. And so, you know, as long as we continue to marginalize people and and, and cause, you know, inequities and stuff, people will just always we'll just never know how good our society, our companies, our work, our 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 ideas our creat- creativity will be unless everyone is able to thrive mm-hmm. and not just survive.
0: Yeah. What a lovely message to end on. So thank you so much, Kim, for talking with me today. It was lovely to hear your story and also to hear more about your, the passion that you have for your work. It's very clear in the way that you speak about it. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me and having the conversation.
0: Appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.